the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Bless it be, y'all. Bless it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hey, witches. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast. I'm Courtney. I'm hosting today, and I am here with Hillary. Hello. And Kanani. Hello. And it's early where we are, and so uh, neither one of them are too happy with me at the moment because I scheduled us for a 7 a.m. recording, but it's because we have someone joining us from Ireland, and so we have to be mindful of our eight-hour lag behind Ireland. We um, have Laura O'Brien joining us to discuss pagan priesthood and both the living the life of a pagan priest as well as a book that she wrote about it. Um, and Kanani is going, had some candle drama this week, but it's also led her to sharing some really interesting tidbits about working with candle magic. And Hillary will be sharing some information about time, which when she first said it, I thought that she was going to get all philosophical for us when she said, I want to talk about time. I'm like, interesting. <laughs> then it turns out, oh, you're no. like, you're like, why? I'm like, what? <laughs> and it's, it's T-H-Y-M-E. So yeah, the, er, the herb, not the thing that measures. The concept. Not the concept. Not the concept, which is not linear, and apparently. Anyway. Um, and then when Laura is with us, we are going to play a horrifying game, which actually I don't find it horrifying. I think Lisa, Laura is going to think it's horrifying. And I don't know if you two will agree or not. I think it's kind of a toss-up. Um, so in the meantime, how's everybody doing? Wait, I didn't sign up for a game. <laughs> well, you're in it now. You have it's to play It's seven game. in the morning. I don't want to play a game. It'll be 8.30 by the time we play it, so you've got time. <laughs> Still some bullshit. Well, anyway, you'll like it. And if you don't, I don't care. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for the support. I know. I'm the best. Anyway, so how's everybody doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's... Uh, too early for me to even, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, things have been pretty good. I have been, as it's been getting colder here, I've been doing a lot of bath magic. So that's been kind of nice. It's like, I love bath magic, but it was so hot over the summer. I'm like not getting in the fucking bath, like definitely no. So, um, I did a nice ritual bath, um, the other night, uh, on the equinox. And so that was really lovely. Just kind of a good way to like wash all the heavy away, you know, I was like, Oh my God, there's too much. I felt like so weighed down. And so I prepared a bath with some er with some herbs and, and it, I feel much better now. So yeah, things have been hectic, but good. I need to get back into doing my Sunday cleansings. I was doing a really good job of doing a ritual bath every Sunday as a great way to start the week. And I was having a lot more focus and I was feeling much more positive and, I just kind of fell off the bath wagon, la la la. And so now I need to get back into it. Kanani, how are you doing? So you said you were taking a nap. She's actually, she said she's going to nap during 
Hillary my introduction and she'd come in when she, she told us to wake her when she's ready. Wake up, talk. Ah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pretend like you're not normally up at this hour. Actually, I'm not. Well, I'm, I am starting to wake up at this hour. Yeah, I usually get up around 6.30 or 7. It's, I have to, since the kids have been doing the distance learning, they're not waking up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning anymore. So actually, usually between around 7.10, I'm rolling out of bed, getting coffee, and they're actually now sleeping till about 7.30. So it's actually kind of nice because I usually get about 15 to 20 minutes every morning where my husband's already left for work and before the kids wake up where there's just peace and I can drink my coffee with no one talking to me, which is amazing. You can eat ice cream for breakfast without anyone yeah. catching you and, and wondering why they can't eat ice cream for breakfast. Exactly. And so oh my God. Um, every day I've tried to do like one little thing that is just something I've needed to get done. And now that I'm kind of not in my funk and I'm able to think, I'm seeing all the things that need to get done. And I am obsessed with candles. I love candles. And so I have like wall decor all throughout my house that are like the metal decor pieces that have like candle holders in them, glass candle holders. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of mine are... um, some of mine are like kind of tall glass candle holders. And so I didn't like just little tiny tea lights in them. And so I had last year put uh, votives in them, which is great. And it looked great. However, votives melt. Yeah. (laughs) And then they leave a mess inside the glass candle holder. And it's hard to get out. Yes. And so I was talking to Courtney on the phone. So as I'm trying to do this complicated stuff with wax and, and hot water, boiling hot water and all of these things. Um, I was talking to her and what I decided to do was to try, first I tried to scrape out with just like a butter knife, the wax to see if it would just kind of pop out. And of course it didn't. Now I am going to give one tip because I have since started doing that same thing. But now before I put the votives in the glass holder, I put oil around them. Oh, so what kind I of oil, like baby oil, olive oil? No, I use olive It's funny, I, I have vegetable oil, but for whatever reason, for pretty much every use, I always use olive oil now. I almost never use vegetable oil. But so, I mean, but you could use vegetable oil. But so I literally just lube up and grease all of the glass things that I put candles in now. You said lube. I did. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it is. I mean, you, you, no reason to be cute about it. And so... Um, <laughs> But I've noticed that since I've started doing that, like all, everything just pops right out, like in a full piece, it will pop right out. So if you're going to do that and put wax straight into a glass candle holder, that is something that you're going to want it to come out of. If you just grease it before you put the wax in, even if it's like, I did that for a candle that was on my altar. You, uh, you, you lube up, you lube it up and things things slide in and out easier. Yeah. Uh Well, and, but the thing is, is you'd think like, okay, well that would only last a couple days. I was burning that candle for a little bit at a time for over a week and it still popped right out when it was done. So you don't have to burn through it really quickly for that to still stay slick in the, in the glass, in whatever glass surface you're putting it in. So anyway, so that's my first tip. 
Second tip was as I was talking to Courtney and I could not dig them out with the butter knife because they were just, they were too thick at the bottom and they wouldn't pop out. And I'm like, this is not working. I don't have the patience for this. So I started boiling water and I put a couple of them in the boiling, in the boiling water. I had it shallow enough that the water wasn't going over. And then I was trying to pick them up with tongs. Well, the problem was first, first set of problems. When I tried to pick it up with the tongs, I dropped it in the water. So now the melted wax is now a part of the boiling water. And so I had to fish out when I finally was able to fish out the glass there was little bits of melted wax all over the sides. And (laughs) then it was waxy boiling water inside the pan. So then I had to clean the pan. I had tried again and been like, okay, you cannot drop this. So then I had another one. I had gotten it out of the pan. This is how you know, by the way, that my husband doesn't listen to the podcast because the whole time I'm telling Courtney, I'm like, I'm, I'm on the verge of divorce right now. Like my husband sees this mess. He is going to just absolutely lose his mind. So I would, it's he like, has no idea this happened. He has no idea what happened he, he catches her with a pool boy. It's just a really difficult conversation. That's he a bad conversation. I <laughs> F up the kitchen with wax and he's out. It's over. He's done. So, <laughs> so I take this other one out and I get it out of the pot. And I'm like, oh, thank God it didn't fall in the pot. Oh, no it falls on the counter next to the pot and then pours over in between the counter and the stove. Oh no. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I told Courtney, that's at that point is when I told Courtney, I'm like, my marriage is over at this point. I'm like, so I didn't laugh at you at the time, but I was laughing inside and now I'm laughing at you. Cause of course. And I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) I shot with a bag. Now you know why? Like, or if I'm just no longer found like now this is what happened. You have to, you have to change your identity, join witness protection. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, just every, the whole thing, just everywhere. And so I'm like, okay, that just happened. So then I dig out the other one. And as I was at the sink, cause now I'm at the sink doing it. Another one fell that had wax mixed with hot, super hot water and spilled all over the floor. So that you absolutely, it's like, you're stepping on it now. You can feel it. It's just everywhere. So what could have been like a one hour cleaning project turned into a one hour cleaning the candle project and about three hours of cleaning up the mess of the one hour cleaning project. Oh my God. But the tricks. What a nightmare. Oh, it was. So what the tricks that I did find was just put some sort of vegetable oil, olive oil, something on the inside of the glass container. And then when you are trying to get it out, it will pop out. No problem. When you haven't done that, if you just boil a little bit of water and then you set them in the pan, just as you watch them melt, it doesn't have to be for a long time. You want to be careful. You're not breaking anything, but, and then you're able to properly lift it out of the pan and then pour it out, pour the wax out into something that's safe to pour it out into. Then what I did was, cause then you still have that little bit of waxy residue inside, you know, cause then it was just melted. And what I actually would do is I microwaved them for like 40 seconds and then I just wiped them out with a paper paper towel and they were perfectly clean cool absolutely perfectly clean and so like this is like witchcraft magical witch magical witchcraft household tips yes and so this is how you can clean another segment with Kanani yes this is how you can clean your glass containers and they look perfectly clean um now I'm going to teach you how to clean up all the wax you spilled (laughs) so (laughs) 
I had to pull the stove out from between where the stove goes and the uh, counter, and I had to pull it out into the middle of the kitchen. It was all over the side of the stove and all over the side of the counter. Now, the problem is with the side of our counter is it's unfinished wood. So I just have to wait for the day, the next day, because, yes, my husband pulls out the stove to mop underneath the stove. Yes, he does. And so I'm going to wait for that day because he's going to freak out and go, what is this? Because I can't do anything about that. So that's just gone. That's just the way it is. (laughs) But the side of the stove, I was trying to scrape it off. And anyone who's tried to scrape wax knows that that's about the most obnoxious, awful, unforgiving task that there ever was. And it really is not that helpful. So I was doing that for a little bit and realized this, this is not happening. And the best way that I have found, because I love to spill wax, the best way to get it off is to get a hot iron. And then I take a towel that I'm happy to throw away. So don't expect to be able to save this towel. I take a towel. And so what I did was I just put it on the side of the stove where there was the wax. And then I just put the towel over it. And then I just put the iron and the iron heats up the wax and the towel absorbs the wax. And I need that. I have so many altar cloths that are just like stiff with old wax. Yes. And I have no, you can, so you can do that. I've done that with my altar cloths and it will pull the wax off of the altar cloths, but it will still leave a stain. Yeah. So it won't be crunchy anymore and have the wax, but it's still going to leave that kind of discolored stain on there it's a love stain yes but i have i have used the towel but like i said i have no idea how to get it out of the towel so i just i find a towel i'm okay to throw away my husband sat and did the dishes last night and stood right in front of that sink and has no idea that there was wax spilled all over the floor i kept waiting kept waiting for the what's on the floor to go back while i was at work today what's on the floor (laughs) never happened i was shocked so it really, really, really does work. Another uh, votive tip is if you if it's in a votive, before you microwave it, if you're if you want to if there's quite a lot in there, if there's just like some residue, microwave is the way to go. But if there's a, quite a lot in there, if you put it in the freezer for like an hour or hour and a half, when you pull it out, when you go to pry it, it'll pop right off. Yeah, I was gonna say that's when. So if it has a lot, that's when I put it in the hot water. To kind of melt it off from the side. Yeah, but if but if you put the it in the microwave, only works if it's like a little bit of residue. Right, but if you put it in the freezer instead of doing it in hot water, then you might not spill hot wax you're, in between well, your stove and your counter. That, <laughs> and also you will because like sometimes then you're getting like you're getting the large parts of the wax out, but it's spreading around. So if you put it in the freezer for like hour, hour and a half. If you take it out after an hour and you're, and you're like, it's still soft or it's not hard enough. Um, and it's not prying very well, then try another half an hour. But if you then just take like a knife and stick it between the two and pop, pop it, um, kind of pop it out of there, there'll be some residue and, but then the residue you microwave and then that will help avoid spilling wax all over your kitchen. Yes. yes Cause that was fun. But you were like, God damn it. I know. But for so for people who maybe you have wax on like a piece of carpet that you've not even tried to get out because you don't know what to do, towel that you don't mind having to toss out when it's done. Sacrificial towel. And yeah, and an iron, and you will be able to get that bad boy up shockingly fast. But like I said, I've burned candles for like a week 
and then it will literally just pop right out and it's still it's still moist on the sides and you're just like this is amazing did you just say moist you publicly said, i have someone at, someone at our live recording i said moist I and lube rightly that oh, I have Lord. this sense of humor of a 12 year old boy and I've been keeping quiet this whole conversation because everything to me sounded kind of kinky and hilarious and so yeah well most <laughs> things about candles are kinky and hilarious so I know just the the, the living it up but I feel like we have a new segment now it's called like household magical tips with Kanani like I love that I think it's awesome <laughs> it's a lot of called how Kanani cleans up the messes she makes <laughs> yeah that's perfect <laughs> All right. Well, let us switch gears here for a second. Um, Hillary is going to talk to us about time, the herb, not the concept. The herb, not the concept. Um, so yeah, time is a great herb. Uh, it's also really easy to get a hold of. You can get it dried in the grocery store. It's very easy to grow. Um, it'll do really well. Even if you don't have an outside space, it'll do really well on a windowsill. Um, Anyway, it can be it can be used for a number of different things, but kind of one one of the main purposes is uh, it's really good in healing rituals um, or or to to kind of calm yourself for sleep. It's it's a really comforting herb. So um, and it, it it also attracts it's it's, it's also uh, attracts affection and and kind of like uh, peop, people having a good perception of you. So it's it's. It kind of just, I find that when I use it in spell work, especially I love using it in baths because again, it smells really nice. So, so it, some herbs are great, but don't smell good. So time is a lovely smell and it really just calms your energy down. So I find it really to be helpful when I'm like, you know, my body doesn't feel great or my energy is really heavy. Um, if, yeah, if you're doing a healing ritual, if you're trying to bring in like really deep sleep, um, uh, and it kind of relieves that, like, you know, when things get really hectic in the world and the energy gets really frantic or kind of, um, kind of like right now frantic or like nervous. And there's that kind of underlying, energy buzz that's you making mean, everyone the, anxious like all of sense of the morbid sense of foreboding that keeps me awake at from two to four pretty much every morning worrying and wondering about what the next 10 years are going to be like yep. i've heard of this hillary i'm not that, sure but it sounds familiar that right there well time time is your friend there so uh you can there's a couple ways you can use it you can actually burn it so uh, do, people do use it for smoke cleansing it can be used for smoke cleansing um but you can burn it in the home. Um, it's good for attracting good health for the occupants of the home, for purification of the energy, for getting rid of stagnant energy. Um, it is. You can also hang it. You can if if smoke is a an issue for you, you could also hang it around your home. Uh, it's just as effective yeah. that way. Or I've even um, gotten it wet and shook the water off of it around a space before. Um, and that, that can work. Um, yeah, it's really, really good for bath magic. So it can be good to help the body, uh, in, in bath rituals, but it also, uh, it's also really good in bath, bath rituals for bringing in a constant flow of money, like kind of this, like bringing in that money. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so it is used, I, it is often used for smoke cleansing specifically prior to ritual. So if you really, if you're able to do smoke and you're doing a bath ritual, you could, uh, you could use the smoke to smoke cleanse the bathroom and the bath. You could burn mm. a little, and then you could add it to the bath, uh, with 
Epsom salt or sea salt or uh, anything else, any other herbs that you'd like to put in there. Um, it does. I will say that it is. It make sure if you're using it that you have like some sort of strainer over the drain, or you can put it into a. I like having herbs loose in the bath, but um, but you can also put it into like a little uh, like cheese cheesecloth that you can tie around it, or like uh, or like a like a thin, almost like those reusable tea bag things. You can use yeah. that. I've also um, doubled up on paper towels before, like yeah. fold two or three of them. So, and then, I mean, you have to be, they, they, they're fragile, so they tear easily, but I found that that, that works if you don't have um, a tea bag or other things on hand. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you wanted to, if you were like, if you didn't have anything of any of those things on hand, you could take a like kind of bunch of it and stir the bath water with it. Um, you're not going to get as many, uh, like as much debris that way. Um, but yeah, it is like kind of, it's twiggy and it has like, uh, it's pretty rough. So it's not, it wouldn't be great for your pipes if you uh, let it go down the drain. So just be mindful of that. Um, but yeah, you can, uh, you can like many of many herbs that are, uh, helpful for restful sleep, especially with stress. Um, you can put it in a sachet underneath your pillow. Um, you can also wear it. So if you want to put a sprig of it in your hair or, um, put some in your pocket, it can be good in, in turning the perception, people's perception of you. So if you have to go to, if you have to go talk to your boss, it's like, you're worried about a difficult conversation or you're trying to impress someone, you can always wear some time. Um, it's good for, for upping people's perception. But yeah, I really, I love it in, in bath magic. It's by far my favorite, favorite way to, um, to use it that and that and, uh, in smoke clean. Oh, thanks. Well, let's, thanks for that. So we have our, we have a full moon coming up in just a couple of days on the first, which is, um, I, I actually was this, this last month, I was finally able to get the recording I've been promising everybody for a while of me catching the reflection of the full moon in a bowl of water. Um, you did it finally. I finally did it. Finally did it. Cause well, for a while it was just, the moon was coming up way too late past my bedtime or was coming up when it was cloudy or something like that. But finally we had a clear night and I stayed up a little past my bedtime, but not too bad. Um, and that will be available for our Patreon supporters. If you are interested in, um, learning how to catch the reflection of the full moon, this next full moon is a harvest moon. As we mentioned before, the harvest moon typically falls in September, but at least in North America, um, the, it's the full moon. That's whatever is closest to the fall equinox, which two years out of three, it happens in September. But this year, um, the one closest to the fall equinox is in October. So the September full moon was called the corn moon and the October, the first one, we have two, two full moons in October, which is so badass. Um, the first one is the harvest moon. So a really great time again, to keep reaping blessings. Um, so to, you know, just basic overall abundance of blessing, good stuff, energy coming with this moon. And so it's, I love catching the full moon reflection because then I can, um, anoint magical tools. I can sprinkle on the altar. I can use it as in the bath. And it just really, anytime you use full moon water, it ups your overall magical power, but especially, um, especially with the harvest moon, cause that one is such an important one you know, in the history of, of humanity harvest the full moon around the harvest was such an important one. 
um, because it allowed us to keep working and gather more food and, you know, less chance of starving. So, and so, yeah, we have a video of that on our Patreon and it was a real labor of love because my husband took the video and he stepped in dog shit while he did it. So that is, Oh no, he did. Um, but with that being said, we do want to thank everybody who is following us on Patreon. You are making it possible for us to continue, um, giving you the kind of witchcraft content that we love to do. Um, we also have released on Patreon, the video from our Columbia Willamette pagan pride day recording. Um, so you can watch me have my complete and total meltdown, uh, cause Hillary was making this face at me because she knows I can't say certain words and what I, was what was the word that you can't say? Shut up. <laughs> I'm not going there today. I can't. So remember, if you want to support the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon um, to get access to this kind of bonus content and other goodies. And if you can't do a monthly donation, you can certainly buy us a coffee or three or pick up that Witch Life merchandise handmade by Kanani on Etsy. And also um, consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a really great way to promote your business um, or your event. We've got thousands of witches that listen every week. Um, or in the spirit of pagan priesthood, you can let your high priest, priestess, or priestix know how much you appreciate them with a special message that we will read aloud on our episode. So to find out more, um, go to our website, thatwitchlife.com. And between now and the end of September, which is, you know, a couple more days, we are donating 10% of all of our proceeds um, to the United Way of Central Iowa for their storm relief, um, excuse me, United Way of East Central Iowa for their storm relief efforts. Um, natural disasters take a long time to rebuild from, and we want to make sure we're giving our, our support to our friends in the Midwest. And we are also supporting Habitat for Humanity of Los Angeles, um, who is addressing housing needs to people who um, have been affected by the fires. I mean, we had some bad ones up here in Oregon, for sure, but California has, was, has been dealing with them for a lot longer and really need a lot of help. So, um, yeah, and if you'd like to help Oregon directly, we will have some um, resources on our show notes um, on our website. So, in the meantime, are we ready for a word from our sponsor? Yes. I cannot believe it's almost Yule. You may not know this about me, but I absolutely love giving people gifts. It is genuinely one of my favorite things. And what better place to get handmade, magically charged candles, incense burners, or altar cloths for every witch on your holiday list than from actual witches making real magic and supporting a better world. If this sounds like you, then check out the Witches Resistance. The Witches Resistance was an idea born out of the anti-liquid natural gas movement starting at an action in Tacoma, Washington. They are more than just a name. Proceeds from their handcrafted art and spell candles help support a variety of causes, as well as their ability to go to events and actions. In addition to handcrafted candles, they offer a carefully curated selection of all your witchy needs, including altar tools with everything from cauldrons to mortars and pestles engraved with pentagrams and pagan knotwork. I have a list of items I cannot wait to buy for the witches in my life. And I'm a Taurus, so let's be honest, I have a list for myself too. I cannot wait to rock their amazing witches resistance tank top. It's already in my shopping cart. And add to my collection of spell candles. Make a witch's day, or your own day, while supporting a family-owned magical business that is out there working hard to make the world a better place. Visit witchesresistance.com today and enter code THATWITCHLIFE at checkout to receive a 10% discount for all purchases made between now and October 31st, 2020. Thank you to the Witches Resistance for being an episode sponsor. 
As many of you may know, bath magic is a huge part of my witchcraft. Also, while working full-time, doing this podcast, and just the general stress of this pandemic, among other life things, intentionally creating space for self-care and relaxation has been a crucial part of my health. So, you can imagine, I was thrilled to discover Mystical Existence, a small, family-run company based out of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Mystical Existence was named for proprietor Maggie's lifelong and Infatuation with the night sky. They have the most gorgeous things to make your bath rituals an extraordinary experience. Their soaps are made with a goat milk, glycerin, or olive oil base designed for and by the magically inclined, such as their Taurus soap, which is coffee scented and made with coffee grounds added for gentle exfoliation, or Zeus, which is a lemon scented pumice soap great for hardworking hands. They also have Libra, a true feminine soap with a floral and fruity fragrance colored pink with a a little added sparkle, which is also available as a body butter. They also have a line of gorgeous bath bombs infused with essential oils and these badass mooncakes, which put a total pop in your shower experience and absolutely wake you up in the morning. They also have a hard lotion bar packaged in a tin for easy travel. You can just toss it in your bag and go and a hand and body lotion called Scorpio with a dark musky and sensuous scent. Set the mood for your bath time rituals with one of their soy wax candles with three fragrances to choose from. Subscribe to the Mystical Existence mailing list to be the first to know about new items, limited edition offerings, monthly specials, and sales. Get 15% off until November 10th by going to mysticalexistence.com and enter TWLP at checkout. Mystical Existence, turning your bath ritual from ordinary to extraordinary. Thank you to Mystical Existence for being an episode sponsor. All right. Well, we are delighted to welcome Laura O'Brien, who is a teacher, author, and guide, native-born Irish with decades of personal and professional experience in their history, heritage, archaeology, mythology, and pre-Christian Irish spirituality. She is a modern dari. A practitioner and priest of indigenous Irish magic and spirituality, Laura has been consciously following a pagan path since 1994, and she dedicated specifically to the Irish goddess Morrigan in 2004, and is a co-founder and reverend legal celebrant with Pagan Life Rights Ireland. With her partner, John O'Sullivan, on Shkeli Biog, she runs elanotterpress.net, Kanani, you should be shopping there, by the way. They have everything you've ever wanted. <laughs> and the irishpaganschool.com, an online learning environment where you can connect to the heritage, culture, and spirituality of pagan Ireland in an authentic, meaningful way every day. Laura has three children, a grandchild, but never enough plants in her life to keep her happy. So, Jamie, I mean, if I didn't know myself, I'd be impressed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Kanani, actually, you and Laura have a connection um, that you don't really realize. Now, most people, if they have followed me on Facebook for any period of time um, or followed Laura on Facebook for any period of time, know that Laura and I have had a years-long battle of food, like an online food fight. (laughs) What we do is we post on each other's pages the most outrageously horrifying well, for some people, horrifying um, recipes. And Laura is like, no! And I'm like, yeah! For me, horrifying. For Courtney, like, yeah, bring it. Bring it, let's do it. Well, this one got started, like, I guess it was three years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, Laura had posted, Laura posts things um, routinely that it's like, why are Americans? Why? (laughs) 
And with great affection, in fairness. <laughs> no, it's it's true. But all these yanks get on there and they're like, oh Laura, it's not, we don't do that. I don't do that. And we posted this, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. It was like a cheesecake pie made with like fruity pebbles or something. Yeah. Something, yeah. It was like, like diabetes that. in a recipe. It was just it, it was, was the it was, recipe for diabetes. It was basically injecting cholesterol directly into your arteries. And then leaving it there. Yeah. And I first, I was with the other Yanks going, oh, no, I would never. But then I looked at it and I went, you know, Kanani would totally be into this pie. <laughs> and so I sent her the recipe and I said, do you want me to make this for Easter? And she's like, um, I'm pissed you didn't make it yesterday. And I went, okay. And then I thought it was really funny. And I just posted something, did not expect Laura to see it. I just posted a Facebook post like, ha ha ha. When you look at one thing on someone's page, you go, ew, no, I would never. And then you send it to your best friend. Like, so are we gonna? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and Laura was the first person to call it. And she was like, Courtney, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, in fairness, that one didn't have gelatin or miracle whip in it. As far as um, I remember. <laughs> Courtney. I, I, don't, I don't think it did, no, but it was like all sugar and Kanani yeah. was totally into it. And I still have yet to make it for her, so I gotta dig that one up. That's like ninety-nine percent of of what fuels my body. <laughs> Wait, just the gelatin and sugar. the miracle whip or just the, the cholesterol on no, the on the sugar? sugar. <laughs> I don't do miracle whip, I just do straight sugar. You would do Miracle Whip if I made Miracle Whip something because oh, you would yeah. try it. Oh my goodness, Courtney. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm actually, of all of our three-year-long battle of the, of, the, of the cultures, I think really is what it comes down to. Like, would Courtney eat this? I don't know. Would she? <laughs> the horror show that was the, and it was actually a modern recipe. It wasn't even something from like the 1950s or some shit, but the horror of the, the moist, like your grandmother's. We have now said moist on this show four times. Oh, 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 oh. The, no, the, it was like, it was, it was an asterisk, asterisk moist. And then the next asterisk was like your grand, like grandmother used to make, or no, it was actually like your grandmother's. But it was like mushed up hot dogs with like, jelly and it and add, oh 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 add, literal nightmares literal <laughs> nightmares like waking up in the cold sweats and like not even like the good kind <laughs> and she's like it's bad enough but would she and some of these recipes to be fair I look at them and go I don't know if I could go that far mm. um but I don't tell Laura which ones there are. I just let her. I just let her run away with it. What about that one with the? Um, it was like molded. I think that was a, a vintage one. In fairness, it was molded into the shape of. It was like salmon jelly molded into the shape yeah. shape of a salmon face with like little, yeah. little eyes and a mouth. <laughs> what? It was super. And I I love making food art like I did I did this, uh, this cheese spider for Halloween a few years ago and it was really good because it was like cream cheese and, and scallions and garlic and stuff like that but then oh, you yeah. roll it in black sesame seeds and give it little legs and I'm there for that I'm there for that still, that was really good yeah, that was really good but that's why we're going to play the game um before we finish today which is would, did Courtney make it did Courtney eat it or did Courtney draw the line and you guys are all going to have to figure that out even Kanani and Hillary aren't always sure they they love it when I send them videos of like things that are just essentially sh pure sugar 
Like my favorite is the places where they use cotton candy to make burritos filled with like ice cream and sprinkles and cookie toppings and anything else. And it's all wrapped in a giant thing of cotton candy, like 12 layers of cotton candy. I would eat that in a minute and it just freaks them out. And I love it. The super sugary links that I post on your page, Laura, like 90% of those come directly from Kanani saying we have to go here or you have to make this for me. Yes. So anyway, let's, um, let me dig in here and um, ask the first question that we asked of all of our guests on our show. And that is, how did you know that you were a witch or a magical person? Hmm. Uh, goddess came to me in a vision when I was like 14, basically. <laughs> um, but before before that, I suppose, I mean, I was, looking back now, I was in and out of the other world my whole life. Um when you grow up in Ireland in a storytelling family and, you know, have any kind of rural experience, there's, there's stuff that's very, very, um, like the boundaries are not always clear. So, and there's like different places and different types of places. And then, you know, when you kind of catch the attention of other world entities, um, your childhood gets very interesting, very fast. So there was that, but I kind of, it's as weird as it sounds, I kind of view that as normal. Um, I at least didn't really understand that there was anything significantly kind of different because those are the kind of stories that I would have grown up with. So my granddad was always telling me stories and my mom was always kind of bringing me weird places. Well, not weird places, but like historical or heritage places as, you know, so all of that was kind of a given within the culture, but it's only when I started like maybe talking to people about it in my teens and I kind of, or, or really started kind of reading about magical and witchcraft stuff in my later teens that I kind of understood that that not everybody in the world has those kind of experiences as, again, as a baseline, you know? Um, so, like, that's kind of where the magic was showing up, or Drek, as we call it in Ireland, um, between different sites, entities, and events and experiences. Um, and then more specifically, I suppose, like I said, when I was 14 or 15, I had... Um, I was in third year, so I'm not exactly what age it was um, in our secondary school system. But uh, we had a religion teacher who was uh, a hippie. Let's call call it what it is. Yeah, <laughs> she was. She didn't last long in our in our. Um, convent it wasn't a convent but it was still run by the nuns um so uh we had we had this hippie who who had uh, alternative ideas let's let's say and um she was into kind of meditation and stuff like that so she brought us into the oratory because it was an actual oratory in the school which is like a a small prayer room I think is is the original kind of designation so our entire class of like boys and girls you know hormonal teenagers sweaty stuffed into this quite small room um, and she lit some incense lit some candles put on some plinky plonky music and told us that we were doing like a guided meditation to to find god or to see god i can't remember how she phrased it um she was thinking the catholic god you know <laughs> i'm pretty sure <laughs> well I'm, I'm not sure really but you know Certainly within the, the school curriculum, she should have been thinking about the Catholic God and our, you know, developing our relationship with Catholic God. That's actually the first time that I kind of, through her um, teaching that year, it was the first time that I really kind of 
had an idea of developing a personal relationship because up until that point, the Catholic Church is very kind of middleman kind of stuff. Everything has to go through a priest. So my ideas about priesthood, which I know we want to talk about as well, were kind of, were interesting as a child. And then that's really, that was the kind of tipping point for me about developing personal relationship with deity, which I'll I'll probably talk on a little bit later. Um, But I was taken out of that room and out of that experience and into a visionary experience, um, which I had no context for. I had no, like, this was, you know, early 90s in Ireland uh, with no internet, no bookshops, no, well, there there were kind of one or two around the country, but that had kind of under-the-counter stuff. (laughs) Like, there there really was no context for this at all in my experience, my lived experience at least. Um... And I was taken up this kind of mountain to a a female figure who talked to me for what seemed like hours. um, And I completely, it was like getting, it was like getting a a kind of a download that I I have no idea to this day. I have no idea what that conversation was about. I know we had a conversation, but Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't retain it consciously. But then we were done with that and she stood me up and sent me off on my way, basically. (laughs) And I was walking back down this mountain and like I was seeing what looked like this kind of, it was daytime on the mountain, but like the the nighttime experience was down this kind of cityscape almost at the base, you know, and Mm -hmm. like kind of gaudy music was playing and it was real kind of, it was like everything tacky rolled up into like this kind of carnival almost atmosphere to it. And every and but she had told me that my life was there and that my family was there and all my friends were there I didn't really have many friends as a teenager but like you know my my really my life's path she was sending me back on my life's path and that was made very clear to me but every step I was taking it was just more and more wrong you know and I knew she was telling the truth that was the thing and that was why I had started on it because I was 100% I believed exactly what she said like everything that I ever knew or or would know to my to my mind then was there um but it just felt um more and more wrong with each step and I turned around and look back up at her and she was just standing there and didn't make any kind of gesture or any kind of come hither or anything you know on me But I I made a decision and I made a very clear choice at that point that actually my life's path was with her. Whatever that meant, whatever that meant to me at the time, I had no clue, no concept, but my life's path was with her. And um, like suddenly I was kind of back with her, you know, I didn't fly or it was just, you know, I, I was there with her and enfolded in an embrace that... Uh, still moves me to this day still I I, Mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of like I I get emotional every time I try and talk about it but um it was it was the the enrapture of the infinite to use uh, Wiccan terminology I suppose you know Mm. um and it it really really um folded me up and connected me in a way I, I I genuinely can't describe I can't put into words but I was connected to to her but also to a universal power universal energy and it from that point I thought you know I thought I had my own religion and I was like I was completely on my own and like yeah. oh God is a woman Ooh, look at me pathfinding you know um, my innocence like but um I called her the mistress of the light uh, as cheesy as that sounds but um and her symbols for my religion her symbols were 
um, an upside down tri triangle made of three dots, right? Mm. And a, a, a looped cross, which I didn't realize was an Egyptian ankh, but that was the symbol that she had given me, ah. um, <laughs> which was kind of strange. Um, and uh, and she was my goddess, and and she was connected to to nature. The mountain was very representational of nature, and you know natural forces and and universal energies and all this kind of stuff. And it was only bit, like a year, a year and a half after, and um, my sister was talking to this guy from our village, and she was she was given out about me. I'm my younger sister. <laughs> she was given out about me. Um, and you know, <laughs> my sister's so weird. She thinks she has her own religion, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. And this guy is like, "Oh, come tell me, or tell her to come and talk to me." And basically, so I went, and he handed me a book, which was um, Vivian Crowley's "The Phoenix from the Flame," and um, like just from page one was just click, you know, it was like coming home, yeah. and. I was actually delighted to realize I was not on my own. <laughs> like, right, yeah, yeah, paganism was a thing and there were other yeah. people who did it. But of course I was 16. Nobody would fucking talk. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. I don't know if cursing is allowed. I oh curse my God. No, we, we, okay. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, nobody would talk to me, of course. Um, and it was about, um, yeah, I think I think I was just no, I was I was eighteen, kind of pushing nine. I was turning nineteen that year, but in that January, um, the first pagan moot started in Ireland, and um, I think it was the same guy got a letter because we were doing letters back then from like the Pagan Federation Scotland who covered Ireland, and basically informed he was he was a part of the membership or something. You know, he'd signed up at some point, so he got a notification saying that this this moot was happening. And for anybody who doesn't know, a moot is like a monthly social and networking kind of gathering, a pagan moot. Um, and uh, they're 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 quite popular here in Ireland now and in uh, in Britain at the time as well. Um, we didn't have any Irish organisations, but we did have practicing uh, Wiccans and some Druids, I'm sure, at the time, and various other pagans of of different stripes. Um, so I missed the first one where Janet Farrer was recruiting. <laughs> And I think, like, looking back, you know, and I, I, have, a, I have a huge fondness for Janet and Stuart, um, and, but I think it, it definitely wouldn't have been the right setup for me in their group at the time. But I went to the second one in the February where Barbara Lee had shown up, and Barbara Lee is an initiate of Janet's, or was, or, you know, is, I suppose still, um, an initiate of Janet and Stuart's uh, Coven and, and their direct line, and... I met her and again, you know, we just had an instant click and um, I, like I still call that woman my witch mammy. She's amazing. Mm. And we've been so, been through so much together. Um, I was with their coven. Um, Wicca, so it was traditional Wicca, like the, the lineage stuff, you know, all the initiation practices and the training and all that stuff. So that the kind of bunny air quotes, the serious kind of Wicca, you know, um, which is not that every kind of Wicca isn't serious. Obviously, individual practitioners take their their um, their own spirituality seriously. Hopefully, um, but it was it was pretty intense. You know, the training system that that we were going through was pretty intense. The initiations were really intense, um, and it was it was a fantastic um, structural learning environment for me, as well as being a really safe space for a quite a troubled teenager to. Mm. Um, 
to land in, you know, and, and I, I was quite uh, vulnerable at that point. Um, and I really found a home there. So I have a huge gross, uh, a, gross, a, lo- a love still for um, for Barbara, Barbara Lee. Uh, shout out if you're listening. Um, I absolutely love her. There's actually a, an interview on my um, YouTube channel um, about traditional wicca in Ireland if anybody wants to have a look at that um, there's the slice of, of the Irish kind of pagan history there um, and yeah, it's, we'll, it's really we'll amazing that in our show notes, yeah, yeah. Do, do go to our site and we'll direct them right to it yeah so um so I stayed through, got my got my puppy papers, as I call them, my pedigree through that lineage. Aww, <laughs> <your puppy> <laughs> um, but like a lot of it was learning what wasn't for me as well about it. You know, it was great training. It was it was um, great kind of introduction to scholarly research, to um, learning how to work in groups. Um, it was definitely my uh, my priesthood initiations definitely happened there because. Um, even though it wasn't like my kind of personal spiritual faith, if you like, um, you know, I had to go through it to find that out and that's fine. Um, but uh, learning how priesthood was done was, was, was very, very formative for me there. And, you know, and also looking at other groups and other, I was very involved in, in the pagan community, both in Ireland and, and internationally, because we had internet at that point. <laughs> um, and I started getting involved um, in, you know, global uh, online communities, as well as being, um, I was, I, I, I got a, a, one of the biggest uh, witchcraft and Wicca organizations in Britain. Um, and, in the world at the time as well, I think it was called the Children of Artemis. I ended up like running uh, moderation for their um, their forums and teaching classes and stuff. So I was doing all that from like the age of about 1920, probably. Um, so like all of that was really, really um, excellent kind of foundational stuff for um, my own kind of priesthood practice later, you know, re- spirituality even though my spirituality was was nothing to do with any of that, if that makes sense, um, the structure and the training and all that was was really essential to to you know to feed into kind of what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I your work is so important. I just want to say that for the record, mm-hmm. like it is so important the 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 level of scholarship um, and an awareness that you have brought to international paganism has just been phenomenal. It's like every single time that, um, people ask me, like, I would like to know, I'm, I'm feeling really drawn to, um, to Irish magic. I'm like Irish pagan school, go just now, just shut up and go every single time. And we've, we've, we've brought up the school a number of times. And I also really appreciate that the, the kind of, um, work that you've done to help with the the strengthening of pagan clergy internationally. That's work that, that I've been, been doing as well over here. And, um, just because, um, I learned the hard way what, what it does to not just a group, but a leader when you're not, when, when, when you when you've, you've got the magic training, but maybe you don't quite have the experience in groups or the, you know, or the, the, I don't want to sound like I was unsupported by my teachers. I certainly was, but I also feel like that there's, I I remember, okay, just basically when I was jumping up and down, leaving my coven and they're like, what do we do? And I said, you figure it out. There's no book that I'm hiding from you people. There's no manual. 
But then Laura went and actually wrote a manual, um, which, was, which has been phenomenal. And um, and one thing that you you say in the book that really resonated with me was that um, it is both a strength and a weakness, and that there isn't a codified way for someone to become pagan clergy. It's great that we don't have to like watch my Christian friends that go into so much debt to go to seminary yeah. and um, get these degrees, and then never then you know are living in poverty for all their lives, and that they have to go through all these hurdles at the same time they walk out with a wealth of resources mm-hmm. um, and support to be able to do their work and we don't have those obstacles but then we also don't have that kind of support mm-hmm. so I would love if you could tell people a little bit about pagan priesthood and also what inspired you to write this text yeah um well, basically, uh, that manual is the one that I needed 10 years before this. <laughs> and that's pretty much no, how I've Laura, written. Every, I know, like, that's pretty much how I've written every single one of my books is I'm kind of like, I'm looking for something, I'm looking for something, I'm looking for something. And like, there isn't, it's just not available or it's not available in the right kind of way. Or, you know, like, I, I have standards, Courtney. <laughs> I have. I have. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I hold myself to a very, very high standard. I am so hard on myself. So like having to do everything the hard way, I'm kind of like, you know, I really wish that other people didn't have to go through the bullshit that I've had to go through just to get to this place and the exhaustion and the burnout and all that crap, you know, and and all the stuff you have to put up with. Um, So all of my books have been written for that, you know, for that reason. And uh, a practical guide to pagan priesthood is is no different. And I was actually, um, when I signed on with Llewellyn, I was actually writing a completely different book, um, which was um, about Irish magic, which actually became a course. But I ended up going through like this really difficult p- time in my life, um, really like personal trauma, um, a, a culmination of multiple years of personal trauma, actually all kind of came to a head. And um, I just kept getting blocked you know and I kept and by the time I finished that book I hated it I hated Mm. the side of it I hated everything to do with it and it was just everything about it was wrong and it was that feeling that I was describing earlier on I've really kind of used that as a guide like that kind of you're stepping and you're stepping and everything seems to be putting you on this path but it just feels wrong you know and and that kind of right and wrong, that that intuitional sense of right and wrong, I've really learned how to trust, you know, over the years because it has genuinely never led me astray, you know. Yeah. Even when the path seemed to be very clear in front of me, uh, it, there was always another way that I needed to go. And, uh, you know, when I got that sense of wrongness on that path. So I, I talked to my editor, who is amazing, Alicia, um, she 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 was so supportive through the whole thing. She's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant, and I can't I can't sing her praises high, highly enough. Um, and I just I just laid it out for her. I said, look, this is not the right book for me to be writing. And she was like, okay, so you know, well, we you know, and I was like, look, I'll you know, I'd had an advance and everything at that stage. I, they'd invested time and money in me, and I was like, I will refund your money, or I could write a different book. And the one that was really tugging at me, and I actually gave her like two or three book ideas because I always have many, many book ideas in the pipeline. Yeah. Uh, but the one that was really tugging at me was the one that also caught her attention as well, which was this book, The Pagan Priesthood. And she was like, you know, like there's, there isn't anything like this. And I was like, I know, but it's going to be so hard. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. so hard to write. <laughs> and, um, uh, but I knew that because of 
various factors like the, the traditional wicket training. I also went through like OTO training as well and an initiatory cycle with that uh, because obviously, you know, doing everything the hard, uh, the hard way is, is, is essential, you know. Um, so I had all that. I also had a lot of community experience um, through my work with Irish Heritage. Um, I had experience with everything from, you know, uh, international and national government organizations and, um, you know, right down to literally local kind of the parish priest, the local school teacher and the local publican on a board of management, you know, so right down to those levels. And I had done um, various kind of training programs in, in rural Ireland, working at a community level like that, Irish heritage training and tourism training and you know, I just, I had, I had studied psychology because, you know, refer you back to that, that trauma. Like one of the things that I had to figure out was uh, a, how not to go insane and survive. <laughs> so I started studying psychology, you know, in my spare time. Um, and that has become a, a really a lifelong passion. Actually, I, I would love to go and get my doctorate of psychology at some point. Um, but, you know, all of these things kind of came together, plus my own kind of personal, uh, my spirituality, um, but like having to to combine all of those things into um, you know a leadership and a priesthood, and really not having anybody who was doing all of the things that I could see needed doing, um, I was like, all right, yeah, I kind of have to write this book. So I wrote the book, and um, I kind of split it up because I really feel that there's no one right way to be a priest, you know, and that's that's at the heart of this book actually is providing people and facilitating people with that that kind of guidance and that support and it kind of starts with there's 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 basically four main sections in it there's there's other bits and pieces but there's four main sections in it which are um dividing priesthood into pastoral and sacerdotal and i could be pronouncing sacerdotal wrong because uh, nerd girl pronunciation i've only ever heard it or i've only ever yeah. i've only ever That's seen it in writing Sorry, uh, sacer yes. sacerdotal mm -hmm. maybe um but anyway um so breaking it up into, and it's basically like community work, right? And then the kind of, let's call them the inner mysteries. Um, so the pastoral work is your community functions. Um, so that would include, you know, being on call, crisis management, um, various other bits and pieces that like you would have to work with in, in an outreach capacity and being available for community work. Um, and then the sacerdotal stuff would be, um, your your direct relationship with the deity really is is kind of what it comes down to, and sometimes those things obviously cross over. As in, if you were facilitating somebody who was trying to, you know, uh, reach a deity, and you you do have to kind of step into that that middle person role. Uh, um, in some respect, but I, I try and keep that very limited. And again, you know, back to my experience with Catholic priests, I really don't want to be in between anybody and their gods, and that's not what I'm about. But sometimes, you know, I have that that those skills, that training, that relationship with a particular deity, maybe that somebody else just either doesn't have it yet or doesn't actually need, you know, but still needs to needs to interact with them in some way and, and that's part of a sacerdotal priesthood function even though it kind of crosses over into community function if that makes sense generally those are the kind of the two main kind of breakouts that I did to try and you know because not everybody people think of priesthood and they think that they have to be like you know leader in a leader position or in a you know in in a community activist position or something like that and yes those are definitely parts of of the pastoral function at times but, you know, there is also the quiet 
inner times, the inner mysteries, the, the divination practices, the journeying practices that are so essential to your relationship, your personal relationship with deity. And those are the devotional practices. Those are just as important. You know, you don't have to be large and in charge to be a priest. So I really wanted to kind of break all that out theoretically. So that's basically section one and section two. And then section three and section four are the practical kind of skills development that come along with that. Um, so it, it is very like it's, it's a practical guide to pagan priesthood. And I really tried to make it very practical, you know. Well, and it's, it's so important. And I, I think... Um, Sometimes you know there's there can there can be this very rebellious spirit within paganism of that we don't need priests we don't need leaders and to be fair it's great to have that mentality because it keeps people from um, clenching on to positions of power in a bad way but what I also want people to remember is that since humans started walking upright and having language we have had spiritual leaders in every single human that's how they basically how archaeologists, I think, define when, you know, humans became humans is they started practicing religion in one way or spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that there is a natural, there is a natural need to have people fulfill these, these roles of the priest within pagan, within pagan communities. Um, and, And that's where I feel like you're really calling out an important fine line that like, no, we're not, going to stand in between you and the gods. And sometimes I felt like as a leader, people wanted me to be that, or they felt like I could be that. And I used to, another one of my tantrums with people was the goddess does not show up to me at the end of the day and give me all this information that you cannot access through Mm -hmm. through me. No, it doesn't happen. There's not a portal in my bedroom where she just appears. You know, I went, (laughs) I have a lot of questions. I said, so I can, but what I think is important is that it's people to kind of say, show me the way, show me around. I don't know. I mean, a bit like when I was living in New York City, there was a big shift for me from where I was stopping strangers to ask for directions or people would see me wide-eyed and they go, do you need some help finding something? And then one day I was the person that people were coming to for directions. So yeah. it's not necessarily that I was the queen of the New York City subway system and they couldn't go, couldn't get anywhere without seeking me, but I was there and could say, yeah, I actually just take the E-train and, you know, don't, you, here's an easier way. Let me show you. Yeah. Um, and so in this book, I, I love the practicality of it, um, the journaling prompts and the self-assessment worksheets. And I love that some of them seem pretty standard for anyone in leadership or clergy, but you also have some that are very specific to pagans, such as divination, magic, and healing. Um, and one of the key takeaways for this, for me, um, and this was, we, we interviewed Evo Dominguez Jr. a couple of weeks ago about um, whether or not somebody should be in a coven. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I love how you said what you need is to set a goal and objective. If you're going to lead a group, you need to set a goal and objective for that group. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'll admit I didn't do when I was running my coven. I was like, oh, we'll just figure it out as we go along. Well, nine years later, we still hadn't figured it out. Um, And I think it was one of the source of my problems of burnout. And um, it made it it made it very challenging for my coven when I left for them to move on without me. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a method of how, um, how either a leader or a group of people can figure out the group's purpose. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, well, there's a couple of different ways. And I, I just want to kind of cross, just touch on one thing you said there, like a lot of it is kind of standard leadership stuff. And that's actually what we've been missing, I think, in pagan priesthood is like business, you know, stuff that's standard in a business environment is applicable in many ways to running a coven, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. um, or any kind of organizational work. Um, and that's what I tried to, because like I said, I have this kind of multidisciplinary background um, and experience in so many different areas. I really tried to kind of bring all that together because I have found all of those things to be so useful, you know, when I was trying to be in a leadership position or be in a priesthood. And really, priesthood is about service, okay? And, you know, your leaders should be of service um, in whatever way that makes sense for them. Um, but that is the most important and essential part of priesthood. So that can be service to the community. It can be service to the gods. It can be, you know, it can be service to yourself if that's the work that you need to be doing right now, you know. Um, but when you come together then in a group situation, um, you... So there's a, there's a couple of different things and it really depends on how you want your group structure to be. So you can, you can be a, like a, a community. So as in like a communal kind of organization structure, right? So that would be where basically everybody gets an equal vote and it's non-hierarchical, right? And depending on the people, that can work very well. I'm a little bit shy of that because of my experience in community organizations and the way there's no accountability. And, you know, I would kind of earmark that as, as that can be, you know, it, it seems like the right thing to do. You know, you can have a group and we don't have to have leaders. We don't have to have anybody in charge. But human nature being what it is, that can often lead to nobody taking responsibility for everything and nobody yes. being accountable for anything. And that becomes an issue. So if you're going to go for that kind of a structure, you need to make sure that there are particular roles and functions that are assigned um, within the group. Um, and in that situation, if you want to, you know, have a goal basically for your group, that would be very simply, um, you know, a roundtable discussion, I would suppose, um, where, everybody literally sits down and, you know, you don't leave that table until you figure out what your goals are and everybody throws everything into the ring, you know, have a brainstorming session, have a, um, you know, cast your votes into a hat, you know, whatever, like whatever that is, but really like have somebody taking notes, have somebody who, you know, again, roles and functions, you know, um, it's no point in sitting down for three hours and getting the perfect thing, but then having no record of, of what actually that was or how you got there or anything like that, you know, so just in simple things like that, um, your roles and function are, are going to be really important and will really kind of come together to facilitate um, effective kind of group management and, and decision making around goals and then the other kind of option I suppose and obviously there's there's variations on both of these teams but the other option is to have a hierarchy um, and I often joke about you know I, I won't be a part of a community organization like that because and I am in fairness pagan life rights is is very much like that and you know, like it comes with its difficulties, there's pros and cons to it, but um, I'm kind of done with all that. I feel like I've 
I've, I've had all my experiences that I can have. Yeah. And now where I'm at is pretty much benevolent dictatorship, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind queen. Yeah, basically. The kind queen. And, you know, and, and a lot of people get very kind of hung up on like, oh, that's, that's terrible. You know, you want to run a cult. We were joking about cults earlier, like you want to run a cult. And I'm like, no, I really don't want to run, run a cult because what that means to me and how that, how that works out in practice is actually that ultimately it's on me, you know, if I'm the one. And like, I, I have absolutely no problem with handing that over either. And that like, that has to be kind of built in, you know, and basically like, um, I had I had a thing recently, actually, um, just as a good example of this, where um, that original goddess, I didn't figure out who she was for ages and ages and ages. Um, and I was kind of figuring that she was like loosely the sovereignty of Ireland and that I was a priestess of Ireland. And, and I still feel that that's kind of true. But um, because of my work with Maeve at Rathcrohan or Crohan, um Maeve as sovereignty has become very, very important to me. And Maeve as a sovereignty goddess. Um, a lot of people view her as a queen. If you're not familiar, uh, Queen Maeve is, is you know, known as the Queen of Connacht. The, she's often, um, she's often uh, written as the, you know, the jealous one who kind of started a war over a bull. And, you know, she was jealous of her husband. She was jealous of Cucullin. And she was spiteful. Yeah, no, she's you know like <laughs> misogyny much but um there you know there's a lot of context there that people obviously miss and and she is a much more complicated figure and having developed that kind of personal relationship through my guardianship uh, role and management role at Crohan um I I very much got on board with the Queen Maeve <laughs> and actually my next book will be Queen Maeve yeah. um, <laughs> so I have it written it's in the editing process should be out before Christmas 2020 hopefully all going well um Oh, I've committed to it now, haven't I? <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, um, yeah, it, it turns out that that goddess was actually um, Maeve, but Queen Maeve of Connacht is, is kind of one version of her or one role or function of her, and she is a kind of a larger sovereignty goddess. So, um, but, but, but I digress. Um, she has charged me with, um, with setting up basically a priesthood over the next seven years in Ireland, um, which... Oh, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. But, you know, my going into that contractual obligation with her, with that deity, my one kind of requirement was, I was like, all right, I'll do this work. You know, I'm, I'm in, I, I know it's needed, all the rest of it. But the one thing is, um, I, will be, um, I will be in charge of this until there is somebody who is qualified to take it over. And I actually wrote that into my, my oath. Basically, I took an oath, and which is a contract as well with her. Um, and that's what I'm talking about with the benevolent dictatorship. Like, that is going to be a shitload of work to set up. You have yeah. no idea. Um, but I knew that I couldn't do it as part of an organization. I just, it, it would drain me and it would burn me out. I needed to, I knew exactly, I, I hopefully, I know exactly what the steps are that, that I need to make it happen. It's big, um, it's scary, but, you know, that is, that is what I've been tasked with. And making that happen, I'm going to need to depend on myself. And obviously I will have a team and I will have an organization and that's what the rest of the hierarchy is for with those specific roles and functions. But 
when you have that particular structure, whoever is the one who is going to have to do the most work, who hopefully is the one who also is in charge and, and in a leadership position, because that's where the responsibility is, that's where the, the primary service is happening, um, they're probably the ones who are going to set the goals, you know. And I don't think that that's a bad thing as long as it's done in that kind of ethical way. And I do talk about that in the book as well. And, you know, ethics and standards is a huge, huge part of that's built into my own personal practice, my own uh, activism work and my own, you know, priesthood. um, And, you know, the big fucking stick I beat myself with all the time, basically, (laughs) because I have mental issues. right? (laughs) But like, you know, holding that kind of high standard is something that um, and, you know, Courtney kind of referenced it and I kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, being involved in international communities and seeing seeing how badly things can go wrong, you know. And that's before we get into, like, abuses and all that kind of bullshit. Like, but, because um, there's a lot of that too and there has been a lot and there still is a lot. And one of the main things that I really, really wanted to do with the Pagan Priesthood book was, A, yes, let people know how to be a priest, and it definitely does that, I hope. Um, but also, you know, and also um, whether priesthood is right for you, because it's it's genuinely not for everybody. So, you know, that's an important factor too. You can read that book and say, okay, yeah, I actually, that's not for me. And that's just as important. But the other thing is, if people are reading this book and they're saying, okay, so that's what a priest looks like. That's the kind of standard. Like it's a low fucking bar as far as I'm concerned, right? Um, it's a low bar I've set and I really hope other people come along and are, you know, raising that bar um, yeah. <laughs> through the decades to come. Um, but like it's, it's at least a baseline where somebody new coming into the community or coming into a group or, you know, coming into some kind of like alternative spiritual scene they can understand what's okay and what's not okay. And that's something that I really don't feel that we've had, um, you know, like globally really uh, uh, until this. And like definitely there's individual, I'm not saying I'm like, I'm the first one to do this or anything. There's definitely individuals who are setting those standards, who are holding, who are walking that walk, you know, Um, and 100% respect to them but there's a lot who aren't as well. And there's a lot of new people coming in who don't know the difference, you know, and don't know what to expect. I think that's one of the things that this book can be helpful, even if somebody's not ready to go into leadership um, or doesn't want to, to be able to look at this and saying, is my leader following these principles? If so, if not, maybe this isn't the group for me or this isn't the teacher for me. And that's, that's really key. So you don't go away thinking that every single, you know, if you have a bad experience with someone who's either inexperienced or is, is got some personality issues that make them more of a, a, a challenging or not a, not a very good leader, but it's like, that's not how it should be. All right. Now we're going to come to the game. Did Courtney make it, eat it, or did she draw the line? So I'm going to give you guys three recipes. One of these I made, one of these I ate, and one of these I have, I have to draw the line on this one. I can't do it. Um, so, all right. So you have to get, so first recipe, spicy peanut butter, toasted cheese sandwich. Basically you're mixing hot sauce with chunky peanut butter. You smear it all over the bread then you put sliced cheddar cheese on top, toast it in the toaster oven until the bread is brown. The cheese is melted and the hot sauce peanut butter is bubbling. You totally made that Courtney. 
right. Next one. Hold on. Saskatchewan salad, which is oysters, carrots, kiwis, peas, spam, and green olives in unflavored gelatin garnished with easy cheese, served cold, usually on a bed of iceberg lettuce, most often served with roast beef at the holidays. Oh, my God. Where did you find this shit? (laughs) All right. Third one. Autumn pie cakein which is an apple pie baked inside a double layer spice cake with burned butter, cream cheese frosting. I know you made that. I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing that. I actually I, know you made that. Yeah, I, I'm, sure, I'm positive you made that too. I'm guessing that the middle one is. The middle one you passed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will actually lose a little bit of faith in you, Courtney. Yeah, I was going to say, if you made the middle one, I think you're going to have to leave this pie. But again. just know that now you're going to have to eat the middle one. <laughs> I know that. Oh. oh my god, I guess I'm too predictable. I did eat the spicy peanut butter toasted cheese sandwich that my friend yeah. added, and it was phenomenal. Mm. I want one right now. It was so good. Um, I did make the autumn pie cake in. My husband dared me to. He didn't think I actually would. And I, you better fucking believe I made that thing for Thanksgiving. I, I went remember out that because I was angry that you didn't make it for me and I couldn't have it. <laughs> I can still make one for you. Your birthday is coming up. Yes, you can have it. I'm thinking. Okay. It's also not called Saskatchewan salad. I just put that in there to try to give some context. I don't think, well, I don't know. I could probably do that. I won't make it, but if someone served it to me, I'd try it. Oh, really? Oh, really? So why not? Honestly, like the jelly, I'm like, it's the gelatin that just steals the hard pass. It's I'm the like, unflavored gelatin. I mean, maybe if it was lime gelatin, no, I haven't eaten. Fucking no, fucking no. Oysters? Oh, is that, have I misremembered? Yeah, pass. oysters, carrots, key. This is one of the ones that Laura posted on my page. And I, oh. I was like, yep, I have that recipe. I literally don't have that recipe. I literally have never made this thing. I, I don't think I would. I think I'd end up getting divorced. Kanani gets divorced because she makes a mess. I would get divorced if I made a gelatin thing in the house, even yeah. if my husband didn't eat it. Just knowing it was there would make him angry. Yeah. <laughs> even if it didn't have a face, you know, the face is, <laughs> the face is next level stuff. But like, even if it didn't have a face, I think, yeah, the, the jelly, jelly oysters. Oh God. It's nope. just a big. <laughs> Sorry, Canadians. I literally do not think it comes from Saskatchewan. I just needed to have God, something. Why would you do that to someone? <laughs> to end I don't know. You're like, Canada. Curse this region with this disgusting food. The little I know. presentation <laughs> notes of like it's served on a bed of iceberg. <laughs> it's like, oh no, it's served in the, the bin. at the holidays. <laughs> it goes in the same place that kale goes in the garbage can. <laughs> in the bin. In the bin. Get in the bin. Well, Laura, yeah. how can people find your book and keep in touch with you? Awesome. Um, well, I it was published by Llewellyn, so it's it's pretty much everywhere that you would normally find a book for sale. So, um, and if people do read it and like it, I'd love some more reviews. That'd be great. <laughs> reviews really help authors. Absolutely. And, yeah. So um, I can be found at lauraobrien.ie, and my first name is spelled L-O-R-A. So really, if you Google L-O-R-A O'Brien or Laura and like witchcraft or Laura and weird Irish pagan or anything like that, you're going to find me. I'm all <laughs> over the internet. I have a YouTube channel. I have a blog and my website. And obviously then at theirishpaganschool.com where we um, I, I do all my teaching there. And we have um, multiple different classes from native Irish presenters. So it's not just me and John. Um, we really are developing it as a platform to support um, Irish teachers. So that, and, you know, people who want to genuinely 
access. Um, I mean, our, our, our business tagline is authentic connection to Ireland, but actually that's my life's mission. You know, yeah. It really is. So yeah, um, part of my community service is, and part of my priesthood service is to um, create educational content. So I do that through the books and the blogs and the YouTube and the, the Instagram and the Facebook and all that, all the usual places. So we're even on TikTok, Courtney. Well, have, it used to be, but then apparently it's no longer allowed over here. So yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I say we're on TikTok. I, I kind of open it occasionally, look at it, and, and close it down again really fast. Um, so I don't know if that's gonna. Don't know if that's gonna last, but. <laughs> All I yeah. know is the three of us need to make our asses to Ireland somehow one of these days mm-hmm. because when they allow us back happen. in the country, yeah, I know when yeah. any country will allow us in their country. <laughs> They're making us sit in our room and, and think about what we did. They're like, <laughs> "You are in trouble until, until we have until, until you realize how stupid you're being. You're going to have to stay over there." All right, friends. Well, thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Buy us a coffee or check out our merch on our Etsy store. When you buy something, it pings on Kanani's phone and it makes her day. This week on Patreon, we will be releasing some bonus content with Laura. She generously um, answers one of our listener questions, which is about the practice of bird divination and its relation to ancient Ireland, including the god Luce. So please join us on Patreon for that and more, including my video on catching moon water. And we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question to answer on a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moaning that shit, y'all. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye, Bye. 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 one of Ireland's most important sites, Cruachan, Rough Krogan, for a decade and is a co-pounder co- is a co- <laughs> Sorry, wow. Oh my god. That uh, was a bad one. No. Hillary, no. no. <laughs> Quinn punks. <laughs> hey, stop it.